Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. So many people live their lives focusing on the person they see in the mirror. Their favorite station is WIIFM. What's in it for me? Joining us today is New York Times bestselling author Tom Rath. His new book, Life's Great Question, focuses on a new way to think about our life's work. It's not what you do for yourself, but what you can do for others that defines you. We're going to discuss how purposeful contributions to others today can positively transform the person we become tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. It all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is an author and researcher who spent the past two decades studying how work can improve human health and well-being. His books have sold over 10 million copies and made it to hundreds of global bestseller lists. His first book, How Full Is Your Bucket?, was an instant number one New York Times bestseller and led to a series of books that are used in classrooms around the world. His book, Strengths Finder 2.0, remains Amazon's top selling nonfiction book of all time. During his 13 years at Gallup, five of them as a senior scientist, he led the organization's strengths, employee engagement, well-being, and worldwide leadership consulting. Welcome to the show, author of Life's Great Question, Discover How You Contribute to the World, Tom Rath. Hey, thanks so much for having me today. I sure appreciate it. Oh, thanks for joining us. Now, your new book shares how people can redirect their efforts to meaningful contributions over a lifetime. Why was this book so important for you to write? Yeah, you know, this book was really personal and important to me because when I step back and look at everything going on in society today and ask myself, you know, where's the greatest opportunity to create a lot of collective well-being, not just for ourselves, but for the people we care about and work with and love? Um I think we can essentially do the most good through our work, but yet the typical relationship between a person and an organization in our society today is almost broken on average. So I think we can create a lot of collective health and well-being if we help to repair and restore that basic relationship so that our lives are actually quantifiably better off because of the work that we do instead of uh, the time that we spend working or in a pursuit that we would call a purpose, uh, essentially draining us on a daily basis. Yeah, I know when I was reading your book, I was reminded of that famous quote by JFK, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And your book shares how actions can lead to a ripple effect that can impact generations to come. How can people get more in touch with the bigger picture, the power of their actions? Yeah, you know, I think I think one simple step um, is to challenge yourself to uh, wake up each morning and uh, ask, as, as Dr. King did in one of his great quotes about uh, life's mo- he said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And when I first read that three or four years ago and really thought about it, you know, it sounds like a real grand challenge. But what I learned on a far more pragmatic level is it's a really good question to ask yourself when you wake up each day or when you're commuting to work or uh, whatever it is you do each day to say, how can I spend just even a little bit of time? It doesn't have to be your whole day. It can be 15 minutes or an hour doing something where I can really see the contribution it makes to another person and know that I'm doing something that 
essentially gets to live on and grow beyond me. And when you're able to do that, I mean, one thing is, especially during stressful times like we're all living through right now, it helps you to get out of your own headspace and not stress out as much about what you're getting out of each day and worrying about yourself when you're able to focus your energy on another person. And, you know, that doesn't that doesn't have to be some grand pursuit or creative project or anything like that. It can be, for me, it can be 15 minutes of helping my son uh, with his math homework, so he grasps something tomorrow that he didn't get today. Or it can be uh, going outside to play basketball with my daughter and helping her learn a few new things. And those little investments in other people at home and at work can continue to pay dividends for years to come in some cases. Yeah, and I actually read that there's a research showing people that make meaningful contributions to others have improved health and wellness because of those actual efforts. Share with us how helping others can have such a profound health benefit. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things is so many times I see that uh, people who have some of the best of intentions just continue to grind themselves into the ground and don't take time to step back and focus on uh, two big things. I would say health, our, our own physical health and taking care of ourselves. And the second one would be investing time and attention in some of our closest relationships. And I think there's ample research out there showing how when you do things that uh, are good for your own health, it one, it sets a good example for the people around you, and they end up doing things and taking care of themselves as well. And second thing is when you invest time and attention in other people, it creates kind of a virtuous cycle with, for your relationships where uh, you're better off as a product. The people you're investing that time and attention are better off as a product of that. Um, and when you measure this on a global scale or on an organizational scale or even on an individual level, I think the more time and attention that we invest into uh, our closest relationships and our own, when I say our own health and wellness, I would mean kind of eating well, sleeping well, being active throughout the day, those things continue to create upward spirals with each progressive day as it goes by. Right. I know you talk a lot about the importance of tapping into our purpose. I love that. And so many people, though, they're miserable at their job, but, you know, it pays the mortgage. Many of the most meaningful jobs typically offer the least amount of income. How can somebody dedicate their time helping others and still make ends meet? You know, it's, it's a great question because I, I certainly would suggest that uh, making enough money to put food on a table, to pay rent, to avoid Real financial stress is one of the first and most important things everybody should do, and there are times in life when that obviously needs to uh, be at the forefront of all of your priorities. But I don't. I think we've created this uh, mythology in our heads in some cases that um, pursuing wealth and pursuing purpose are mutually exclusive. And um, what I've found and learned through a lot of research that I've studied is that. Um, in most cases, once you can get to a point where you're able to um, pay for food and shelter, after that point, people the, the problem lies where even once you get to that point of sustainability, people continue to pursue wealth more than they pursue purpose. And after the point where you can essentially get by and make ends meet in the United States from a household income standpoint, um, you really don't get any more daily happiness in terms of uh, what researchers would call positive affect or daily well-being. Um, it peaks out at a level there, yet people spend so much time thinking that if they just put an extra 20 hours a week into a job 
and essentially burn themselves out, that that's going to produce more well-being when in reality it decreases well-being, it decreases health, and it in some cases can uh, be a detriment to the quality of relationships like we were talking about. Yeah, you got to have that that balance. That's that's well said. I know one thing that you mentioned in life's great question is the importance of giving people our undivided attention. I think that's a big issue, especially you know with the bombardment of all the social media and and all the distractions. What advice do you have for those people that have become a prisoner to the distraction of the phone alerts and 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 computer and and tablets? You know, I think it's the hardest thing a lot of us face right now is that device that we carry around as a new appendage nowadays, it's essentially become a a metaphor for this comes first, this is what I'm paying attention to. If it dings or buzzes or vibrates, I go right to that stimulus, right? And so I think the challenge is a lot of good research has shown that if I take my smartphone out and I set it on the table, whether that's at the dinner table with my wife and kids or whether that's at a meeting with 10 colleagues, that sends an implicit message that I'm going to pay attention to that thing first before people. And so one big thing I would suggest is that anytime you're in a room with people you genuinely care about or want to listen to or uh, want to be immersed in a real human conversation, to keep that thing stowed away. And also, I mean, keep your device stowed away, number one, ask really good questions, number two. And then once you've asked a good question, don't listen for the response that you want. Genuinely listen to what the other person is saying and challenge yourself to see how long you can keep your own mouth closed and listen to the people that you care about. You know, I think that's going to be what a lot of us look to for leadership in the future is we want to have leaders who ask good questions, they check in regularly, and then when they do ask those questions, they really listen and care about our responses. Yeah, Tom, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't hear what you said. Could you say all that again? I was busy sending a tweet. <laughs> that's, hey, that's the reality we're all living in right now, isn't it? I mean, especially in, in this It really is. World. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it? So, I mean, it's interesting, though. I, some of the research I've been reading on this topic, in addition to degrading, so if I take that device out of the dinner table, it statistically degrades the quality of the conversation for everyone around the table, myself included. And even if I'm in a room alone, there's nobody around, and I take – my device, and I set it on the table while I'm working or writing, that degrades the quality of my cognitive performance by about 10 to 15%. So we've just got to find ways to disconnect, even when we're alone for our own sanity and progress and pursuing meaningful efforts, but even more so when we're in a room with other people. Because, you know, I'm I'm increasingly convinced that, um, you know, back... 20 years ago when uh, cell phones first came out, it was kind of a status symbol to uh, have your big bag phone you carry around with you or your phone in your car you grab onto. And I think today I'm hopeful that the new status symbol will be that you're the person that doesn't have to check their phone when you're in a room. Yeah, that's so true. You know, I was reading about your your life story and, and, and where you are today, and there's a popular song that came to mind, Live Like You Were Dying. It describes a person who finally came alive after he was told he was going to die. He loved deeper, spoke sweeter, practiced forgiveness. And your life story is a lot like that song. The doctors told you you were dying. Share with us how people can seize life without being ha- being told that they have a terminal disease. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that fascinated me most, when I, as you mentioned, when I was 16 years old, I was told I had a real rare genetic disorder that causes uh, tumors to pop up everywhere. I found it in my eye, and I lost my left eye when I was 16. 
Um, but also they said you will have tumors in your pancreas and your brain, spine, kidneys, all over. And I, I've faced all those medical challenges over the last, I mean, it's been almost 30 years now. And I thought that, you know, this is kind of a unique experience that is probably specific to me. And I, so I didn't share that much about it early on in some of my work. But um, the more I studied and read about this, it turns out that when people face major life challenges early on like that, it often results in what psychologists now call post-traumatic growth, where people experience even more resilience um, because they've essentially been reminded of what's most important. And so instead of trying to forget about that, like I did for the first 20 years uh, after my diagnosis in social settings, I, I do now use that as kind of a reminder to say, you know, we all have a limited time here on this earth. And I mean, the only thing that uh, we we know for certain is that we have today. And so often we just kick things off to tomorrow and say, well, I'll call that old friend from college and keep that relationship going. I'll do that next week. I'll do that tomorrow. Um, or I'll work on this project I've always wanted to do a week from now, a month from now. But we continue to put those things off. And so I'd really encourage people as much as they can to kind of act like they have today and to spend as much time as they can. It can't be the whole day, but maybe even an hour today investing in some of those things that are most meaningful and that do continue to grow in your absence. Right. You know, it, we want to die without regrets. I, I'd hate to be on my deathbed, go, I should have called such and I should have rekindled my old friendship. I should have, should have, should have. And you know, I think you bring up such a good point is, you know, we have today, we don't know about tomorrow and we need to seize every minute of it. And one thing that I want to talk about with your book, you have this unique specific code for a free online analysis called Contribify, which identifies con contributions that we can make. Tell us about that. I took the quiz. Very interesting. Yeah, you know, one of the things I've learned from all the books I've worked on, going back to How Full Is Your Bucket and the StrengthsFinder work, is that if you, in addition to helping people to understand a concept, if you give them something to do from in a real tangible sense with an offline activity or an online activity conversation to have, it really helps some of these things to take hold. So as we worked on the book Life's Great Question, we built a companion website that each person who buys a book gets two codes for um, that allows each person to go through an interactive inventory and say, here have been the most influential life experiences I've had. Here are the big roles I play in life. So for me, that's kind of being a dad and a researcher and a writer. Um, well, what are your strengths as you would describe them? And then it takes people through a series of about 45 multiple choice questions to say, uh, how do you most want to contribute right now to a given effort or to a given team? And when they're finished, it ranks where they can make the greatest contribution. And then the byproduct of that quick inventory after 20 minutes or so is that you get a nice one-page baseball card of who you are that I hope people can use in teams and groups and use to uh, essentially stimulate a much more rapid discussion about why are we all getting together on this team and where do we each want to contribute in an optimal way so that we're not stepping on each other's toes and can uh, move together, move forward, essentially doing what we do best? So that was the, the purpose of that online activity and inventory. 
Yeah, I don't know the technology that went behind that, but it was amazing. You know, I have to say, uh, I took the quiz. It made me look at myself differently. But when I got the results back, it revealed things about me that I did not share during that quiz. Mm. So <laughs> it, it's like, how did it know that? It's like, yeah, it's kind of so it, it, it's uh, really uh, intriguing. So I recommend that everybody listening take that quiz. It really was a eye opener. One thing I want to talk about is your book, How Full Is Your Bucket? I read that 15 years ago. It remains one of my favorites. In this book, you share how by treating others in a positive manner, we can not only fill their buckets, but ours as well with the current state of negativity, political indifferences and hostility. What piece of advice can you offer listeners to help balance their bucket? You know, it's such a good one to come back to right now because, you know, it's been fun for me to see how it's used at a real basic level and kids interacting with one another in schools today. And um, in particular, I mean, my big learning from working on that book with my late grandfather, Don Clifton, was that, and he always taught me this when I was growing up, that, you know, every time you interact with another human being, it either fills their bucket a little bit or it takes from it. Rarely are those interactions kind of neutral or in between. And so, you know, if I go walk into a a coffee shop tomorrow and uh, let's say I, I, I I don't have any sight in my left eye, so I often bump into people on my bad side. And in that moment there, usually I can, it gives me a little lens into what's going on with other person. And sometimes they're really wound up and frustrated and can't believe I bumped into them. And most people are really kind and quick to be apologetic and act like it's their fault. And in those little interactions, I always have a choice about whether I try and turn that moment around or whether I uh, kind of pile on top of and snowball something that's going downhill in the wrong direction. And so, um, I, I think that's one of the great gifts we all have in life is that we get to choose our reaction to any stimulus there. And um, if if we can make the choice at least five times out of six to fill someone else's bucket instead of dipping from it, essentially, uh, that almost ensures that we're going to end up with a good day if we can keep that ratio somewhere around five positives for every one negative. And it's important to think about, especially I think about it as a parent, where you know, if you have one bad interaction, it's going to take five or six real good ones to counteract that on a daily basis. So I keep those ratios in mind pretty frequently. Yeah, so so true. I know, uh, you know, we talked about quotes earlier. We talked about JFK and the Martin Luther King. But in your new book, you share one of your most commonly cited quotes, but then you cover how it may cause some misguided focus. And I'll share the quote and then let me get your feedback. Uh, you say you, you can't be anything you want to be, but you can be a lot more of who you already are. Tell us why this profound statement can kind of be a double-edged sword. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that was kind of counterintuitive from a lot of the work I was a part of on strengths and building on your natural strengths in particular is that um, people had this notion before that became more popular that you can be anything you want to be if you just try hard enough. And so a part of what I was trying to point out there is that it's a much better idea to put a lot of time and energy into building on your natural talents instead of putting all your energy into what nature left out, essentially. And I, and I still have seen more and more evidence and believe that that's absolutely true. The, I think the challenge lies in when people say, okay, well, I'm just going to be a lot more of who I'm, what I'm really good at. And that might be, uh, let's say that's golfing or being really competitive, whatever it might be. But when people fail to connect being more of who they are with what the world needs, essentially. And so that's where a lot of this research around the book 
Life's Great Questions focused on what does the world need from you? And I would say that it, if you think about it, it's kind of a basic supply and demand equation where your natural talents are the supply that you have to give something back to this world. And if you don't connect that with real practical things that your family needs, your organization needs, your community needs, the world needs, you might end up spending a lot of time on more self-serving pursuits instead of really doing things that make a positive contribution to the world as well. So I would recommend that people absolutely start with their natural talents, but then quickly say, if that's point A, how do I connect my natural talents with point B, which are specific contributions around what the world needs? In other words, stop listening to the radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? That's what it all comes down to. <laughs> Fantastic. In the minute we have left, is there anything else Anything else you'd like to share with the listeners we didn't cover today about Life's Great Question? No, you know, I, I would just say that along with Life's Great Question, there's a free uh, Amazon Prime book called It's Not About You, speaking of the what's in it for me, that was released earlier this year. And um, I think we've all seen in a challenging year like this how it is of the utmost importance to step back and understand that it's not about you and it's about what and how you can contribute to this world. And I'd encourage people to dive deeper into that uh, over the next year here. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I know you're busy and we appreciate you sharing all your empowering information with us. Hopefully uh, people took good notes. The book is called Life's Great Question. Discover how you contribute to the world. To get your copy or to learn more about Tom Rath, go to Contribuify. Dot com. And while there, be sure and check out the many resources on how you can apply your contributions to the world. You can learn more about Tom at TomRath.org. And be sure and sign up for his newsletters so you can get all the latest life-transforming information sent directly to your inbox. None of that junky spam. Let's get some good stuff to this inbox. And that's it. You can follow Tom on Twitter at TomCWrath and on Facebook. He's at Author Tom Wrath. For my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, it's at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Tom share something today that would benefit somebody that you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyourgoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com and peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. Sharing is caring. As Tom shared, it's all about helping others. Let's do our part. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned. Stay well.